0: just being kind. and so this went on for a few more months, and, and I kept thinking, something's just not quite right, I can't quite put my finger on it, so I took her back in again, and the pediatrician said, look, your expectations are just way too high, you've got these other three kids who are extremely verbal, and that's what you're expecting from her, and so just, you know, it's fine, she's fine, here, i tell you what, here, I'll do a quick eye exam, okay, eyes are fine, let me look in her ears, fine. And then she said, well here, we'll, uh, it makes you feel better, we'll send you to a developmental specialist, go to this audiologist first, just to get a fuller ear check done, and then go on to the developmental specialist. And sent me on the way. So Mike happened to be at work one day, the day that Macy was supposed to go into this audiologist, and we went into this booth. How have many have of you have ever been in an audiology booth? It's a very strange, you know, it's this huge heavy door. I'm claustrophobic, Okay. They close this door and it seals all the sound. There's not a vent in there. There's not anything like that. It just, whoop. it just all sound is buffered. This audiologist had the personality of um, a plate, really, a very plain plate. It just, just. Not much
1: there. Not, not much there.
0: So we're sitting in the booth. I'm pregnant with my fifth child. Macy's sitting on my lap, boosted out, and there's a little kind of crazed-looking monkey over here with symbols that, that is gonna be the incentive for Macy when they play a sound out of this speaker. She's gonna turn and look. And there's a little dog playing drums over on this speaker, and this is how she's going to respond. She's gonna get this little you know boost, this little reward when she responds to the sound that he's gonna put through these speakers. So he shuts the door. All right, I'll see you in a minute sit down, and he starts playing these tones. I can see him through the sick plate of labs, he starts playing these tones through the speakers, and Macy is not responding. Macy is doing nothing. And I didn't think that I was a Hollywood mom, but I was like, May, <laughs> you know, like, come on, everybody's watching, like, respond, and she didn't respond. So he finishes up the test, opens the door, and says, Well, clearly your stuff." deaf, so uh, come back in six weeks, and we'll see what we can do. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're fabulous. Um, and we got in the car, and I tried to figure out what you do to call your spouse and tell him our kid's deaf. Like, I, I don't know what this means. I don't know what to do. And so it started us on a really wild journey. It's been a journey that's been fascinating. It's a journey at times it has been very difficult. Um, those of you who know Macy, how many of you know Macy? A lot of people don't realize she has hearing loss. They think maybe she's Dutch, the way she speaks. We chose a very uh, unusual and very controversial therapy to use with her with the combination of technology and, and what's called auditory-verbal therapy. And for her, that was the right answer. She's done very, very well with it. But it's been a really interesting journey, the least of which has been that I've been able to watch in slow motion someone develop verbal communication. It's really a fascinating thing to see someone begin to develop the means by which they're going to talk. Because it happens so invisibly that we really don't notice it in real time, right? I mean, a baby starts to babble and says, mama, dad, dad, baba. And they just kind of go from there and they're just immersed in sound. Those first several months of their babyhoods and then their toddlerhoods as they begin to grow. And language just happens. I call it our most common miracle. It just happens and we don't even really have to be intentional about it. Unless there's someone like Macy who's having to fight through a challenge in order to begin to develop communication. Because it began to dawn on me in raising her once I realized that there was this hearing loss and she had no language. I thought, how does she represent in her mind like the color red? We cannot disassociate the things we're familiar with from the label with which we have put on them. Does she even understand what it means that Mike and I say we love her? Like, that doesn't even compute. She doesn't even get to hear that. So how do we get to this place of developing communication when she doesn't even have words to represent a table or a phone or a light? How are we going to do this? What is this going to be like? And over time, in its slow-motion way, it has developed, and it's been a remarkable thing that is truly, truly miraculous. So tonight we're going to talk about what it means to have communication in marriage. We've spent the last couple of times talking about parenting and step-parenting last week. Did y'all get some some treasure from that that you, rem- you remember? Megan, you can hit that slide number two. Was uh, this parenting and step-parenting? And one of the big things that we talked about in parenting and step-parenting are obviously our kids but also getting really specific on our our strategies for raising those kids, the expectations that we have, and what that means when we're parenting with our partner, when we're also needing to step-parent with someone who is an ex, and so I hope that you guys had great takeaways. So tonight we're going to be on communication part one. Now after all that build-up to say, here's this child that we were trying to figure out how to get communication into her, this incredible miracle of communication... We're going to backtrack and we're going to talk about the fact that communication is not just about what you say. As it turned out, Macy knew that she was very loved. Macy knew that our home was a safe place. Macy knew that she had people in her world who really cared, even though she couldn't even hear the language to begin to perceive that. And how did she know? It was all these non-verbals. They were so much a part of those early days with her. It was all about the way that we were communicating with nonverbals. And so there are so many ways, oh, the many, many ways that nonverbals speak and the power that they have within our marriages. And some of those nonverbals are subtle, some of them are very obvious, some of them are things that maybe we haven't even thought about. But one of the stats that a lot of linguists and a lot of psychologists give us is they say that between 80%, somewhere in there, 80% of what we understand and perceive in communication comes from non-verbals. It's all those little subtle things in how we communicate with one another. Now see, early on in the economy of mine and Mike's relationship, he and I had a lot of verbal battles. We had lots and lots and lots of challenges with our communication. But as we got a little further into the communication, I began to find an out around some things. We would start a vigorous discourse, Mm -hmm. and Mike would have accused me the time before of being really contentious and difficult, if you can imagine. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to... No, not really. It's hard, it's very hard. Okay, Mm -hmm. Um, we'll work on that later. And so I would learn the lesson of, well then fine, I just won't say much of anything. And so Mike would begin talking about a topic that we needed to work through, and I would, "Mm." All of those nonverbals spoke such disrespect to Mike. He really struggled with the nonverbals I was now sending. Now, in my mind, in my economy, why well, had I didn't say anything? I didn't say anything. You can't accuse me of being contentious and difficult because I didn't even say anything. But all of those nonverbals were saying plenty. It's interesting. Is there anything that makes you more hop and mad as a parent than a kid doing this thing? Oh. And yet we do it to each other, don't we? There are times when Mike and I will be trying to have a discussion, and I will be perceiving that he's not listening. Actually, he could really be listening, but what, what's going on non-verbally? Well, there's this thing called a television set in our house, and... And there's a genetic disorder that some of my family has. I call it the meerkat. Are you aware of the meerkat syndrome? Yes. Where there's a screen that's on, it doesn't matter what's on. It can be first sunny to life, it doesn't really matter. And they stand like meerkats on the hill. And they freeze and they, they get in a pod together. Have you seen it? They cluster. There's something. Yeah. So there's the meerkat disorder. So if something's going on and the screen is on and I'm talking to Mike and all of a sudden there's a screen, I perceive through his nonverbal he is now no longer listening to me. But sometimes he is, sometimes he is still perceiving, but sometimes he's not. He perceives at times that I'm not listening because I am listening to him, but I'm doing something with a kid. I'm helping with a spelling word. I'm helping with an algebra project. But the nonverbal is speaking so very, very strongly to him in that moment that even if I am giving ear it's still telling him that what he is saying is not as important, that he is not as important. There are about four different areas of nonverbal that I'm going to cover and then Jimmy's going to cover some other issues within communication. And the four areas that we can communicate in an interesting way that are so critical in this nonverbal arc are countenance, posture, tone, and climate. Countenance, posture, tone, and climate. How many people love Buddy, Buddy the Elf? And smiling, smiling's his favorite, right? Favorite. He's very smiley. He's very smiley. He's very smiling. It's my favorite. Mike is a very smiley guy. His countenance is often pleasant, or his countenance is often somewhat, it's kind of neutral, but he's really good at looking attentive mm-hmm. and looking you in the eyes like you're doing right there. My countenance, yeah, in our early, in our early relationship, I was a lot, I was very, very expressive, but generally on the unhappy side. I wasn't as smiling. Smiling wasn't my favorite. And there were times that Mike and I would be talking and I would be like this. And all of a sudden he would, are are you judging what I'm saying? No. Why do you think I'm judging what you're saying? It is so important for us to often take a good look at what we're communicating with our facial expression when we're communicating with our spouse. And I'm not talking just about in a time of conflict. I'm also talking about just at that date night. Oh we gotta go on a date night. Jimmy and Julie said we gotta a date night. You go to date night, you're sitting across the table from each other at Chewies. The kid next to you is throwing his bottle at you, but you're gonna ignore that. You're gonna have this date night with this spouse. But if that countenance doesn't look pleasant and engaged, it is communication. It is communicating.
1: My communication always gets better after the third margarita. <laughs> There's much more... You think you're yeah. much more attentive? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a biological... Chewy's reminded me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't think it has to do with the jalapeno ranch? No. Nope. No. All right. Nope. Lesson it learned. It would be the tequila. Lesson learned. No. Lesson yeah. learned. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those things where I go, I'm sorry for Jimmy, and then I tell y'all to email pastor at lifeaustin.com <laughs> directly. That's what I say. And so in those moments when we are trying to connect to make sure that we have an open countenance with one another. Some of us just look more gruff than others. We just do. But any elf always looks cheerful, right? But think of other people in your life that you're not really sure if they're happy or not because the palette of their face doesn't really give you a lot of information. Think about the people that you know who truly look kind of angry all the time, even when they're not. That countenance is so critical in our communication to understand how it does speak. Posture. Posture. Do you ever think about this, what your posture is when you're communicating with your spouse? I mean, some of us are just natural arm crossers. Some of us are, you know, this. But our our emotion will send some really interesting signals to how we're holding our body in a conversation. Do you ever notice this in yourself? I mean, there are times that you can watch it. a little kid. Are you lying to me about sneaking the Jolly Ranchers because you really smell like watermelon red dye number 40 right now. No, no, I'm not lying. lying. I mean, you can see it in small children. They react more naturally. They don't guard as much. They don't try to, you know, really think about what they're saying with their physicality. But a lot of us don't think at all about what our physicality is saying toward our spouse. If our spouse is saying, look, I really need to feel connected to you. I feel like we haven't had a great conversation in a long time. And your response is, I don't even know why you would say that. You're telling them you're not interested in feeling more connected. You're, you're rejecting them is really what's happening in the physical. Even if your words are saying, really, talk to me more about that. I'm really interested um, why you don't feel as connected. You are still communicating to them in that moment. Posture, I think, is also included in the physical touch you're willing to give in a conversation with someone. There are times if Mike and I begin to have a Conversation is getting more heated, and it's clear that we're not gonna agree on this topic. One thing that happens very quickly is we both seem to retract from the natural affection that we have, affectionate little pats or holding the hand or whatever. And it's really helpful, really helpful, not easy to do, but really helpful in non-verbal when it comes to communication. Reach out, touch the forearm, hang on to the hand, make physical contact. We are designed for that. And it's amazing the walls that will break down when we're open to that as a nonverbal cue in communication. We also have to watch restricting affection in communication because it also speaks. Mike and I worked for a long, long time, particularly on me, on tone. Tone, tone, tone. How many have had that? It's not what you said, it's your tone. Raise your hands. Like I think that was probably monogrammed on my baby blankets. It's not that you're crying, Julie. It's your tone. I mean, my parents and I had this conversation over and over. It was almost like they gave Mike an inside track and said, you should really talk to her about her tone. Because we have been dating for a while, and all of a sudden we're talking about my tone. Julie's tone. Julie's tone. You want to do something real convicting? Next time you're having a conversation with your spouse, next time you're correcting your kids, Leave a phone on. Leave a, re, leave a recording on. I was stunned. I'd had our third baby. It had been a long day. Mike came home, picked up the video camera. The girls were dancing. They were being really cute. They were dancing around. They were doing their thing. I'm dealing with justice. I'm tired. Mike puts the camera on me and starts to talk to me. And I just kind of fire back at him because I'm a little irritated that instead of like maybe, I don't know, helping unload the dishwasher, he's videotaping the girls. Now, 10 years later, am I glad he was videotaping? 18. Oh, my word. That was 20 years ago. Am I glad he was videotaping the girls dancing? Absolutely. He was doing the far better thing. At the time, I was really irritated. A couple years later, I go to watch this video of the girls dancing, and when I heard myself responding to Mike, who was just being fun, he was just videotaping. It wasn't on my agenda, but the level of irritation, the level of (laughs) I was giving him, so... (laughs) So convicting.
1: I think mean, it's so funny knew about that one. I know. I know.
0: It speaks. It speaks. Tone is such a slippery, it's like nailing jello on the wall. It's a hard thing to really define. You know it when you hear it, and you know it when you don't like how someone has spoken to you in tone. It's even possible to embed tone into emails. Isn't that incredible? I mean... You're not even hearing what somebody's saying, but there's tone involved there. And you know when it sounds discordant. You know when it's just jarring or sharp or flat. It's just there. So for me, having heard the message, your tone, your tone, your tone, you know, there comes a point if enough people in your world have said it and you've heard it from enough places that you might just ought to think it could be a possibility if you've had somebody talking about tone to you, would you consider an accountability partner called voice recorder? And just listen to yourself and listen to how you're communicating. How I many of you've had that experience when you've heard yourself on a, you know, do you remember when we used to have things called answering machines? Remember that? Yeah, pop back. And when you hear your voice, it sounds so odd to you, right? Or you hear yourself on a video recording that sounds odd. I'm telling you, when it comes to how we are saying what we're saying in communication, it was extremely convicting for me to hear, even though I wasn't saying anything mean. I wasn't saying, Get the girl, okay. you know, I was just saying, I was saying. Really, really, you're going you're to video record right now? Really? You're going you're to video record? Because, you know, I've just been here all day with this baby. You're going to come home and video record. Let me tell you, to hear that back, to see my countenance in that moment, to see my posture, ooh, ooh, heavy accountability. And then climate. We have to be intentional. We have to be the thermostats in our homes and our relationships. And a thermostat is what sets the climate. A thermometer just says, well, this is what the climate is. Okay? That's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. If you want a loving, respectful, kind, agreeable, companionable environment in your home, you're going to have to set the thermostat on you to be that. If you set the thermostat in reaction to how you feel you're being communicated with, then you're just going to be reflecting a thermostat that's already been set. You're just a thermometer. But if you want to really be intentional about the climate in your home, the only thermostat that you really get to set is you, and if you're wanting it to be communicated and you're wanting that to be the communication environment, you have to set the thermostat. Too many of us are thermometers in the communication game, even when it comes to the nonverbals. We only reflect back how we think we're being communicated to. We don't take a leadership role in that over ourselves. We don't discipline and disciple ourselves. We just react. It's, it's interesting how I can see it better in my kids at times than I can in Mike and I. You know, And I'll be saying to my kids, whoa, 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 whoa. If you don't want your sibling to talk that way to you, then you need to not talk to your sibling that way. But he did it first. I understand that. But if you don't want, you know, you set the thermostat. You set the standard. And set the standard high. It's so much easier sometimes to see in our kids than within the context of our marriage communication. But those nonverbals are so fascinating to really take a look at. That it's not just what you say. It's the expression you're wearing while you say it. It's the tone with which you say it. It's the body posture you're using. It's the level of affection that you're using. And it is setting that kind of great intentionality, no matter what you feel like you're getting back, that you're going to set a climate and stay true to it.
1: Good stuff. You know, when we said that our top three of the couples in this room was communication and conflict resolution and sexual relations, <clears throat> I know sometimes addressing communication can seem dry. However, most of us in this room agreed that it's a problem uh, in our relationship. Therefore, stuff like, you know, Jules was talking about is actually very important. I know sometimes that we just kind of, okay, well, yeah, uh uh-huh. But we don't take it because you sounded very Oprah-like is what I'm saying. Did I? Yes. In a good way or in a? No, in a really bad way. Oh,
0: that's what I was worried about.
1: Because sometimes we can hear those things, and oh, by the way, I'm going to sound very Maury or whatever when I'm going through mine, because when you talk about communication, sometimes it can just feel kind of canned and like, oh, that's stupid. But it's actually all very important. In fact, if you look at somebody who's a really good communicator, they're doing all that. And by the way... Mike is actually a really good communicator. He is a very good. He does all that stuff, and again, on the inside, he can be comatose. <laughs> but to talk to him with the eye contact and leaning forward, and you know, just Hi. laughing at the pat, he's fantastic he at that. Again, because he's making me think he's really listening. That's the important thing. <laughs> I tell my counseling students all the time: it's the illusion of competency that we're at. You just have to look like you know what you're doing <laughs> so it, it so really kind of take this to heart because it's it's good stuff I did want to mention one other nonverbal, and that is reading in between the lines of what someone is saying listening to what they're not saying or listening to how they're saying it so again it's not the words um Because there's a truism in counseling, it's the next one. And that is the presenting problem is never really the problem. What someone comes in the office for, a lot of times, is a symptom of the problem. But it's not the problem. And it's the same in our communication with our spouse. If, let's say, you had a wife and she went thermonuclear because your underwear were in the middle of the floor of the bedroom no no, no. in the middle of the floor in the living room <laughs> i'm trying to enact that story clarification but let's and she's so angry and and here's a guy and we just say it's 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 my underwear in the floor why are you going crazy over my underwear in the floor? It's underwear in the floor. I don't mind if you have your underwear in the floor. <laughs> why are you so upset at me that my underwear's in the floor? Because she's upset about the underwear, but it's not the underwear, ladies, is it? It's you will not lend one freaking finger to help around the house. It's a bigger thing of than what? Disrespect. See, we don't, people say this all the time, oh, we just fight about little things. We don't fight about little things. Do you know that? We fight about big things. But the big things are represented in the little bitty things. So part of our job is not not to simplify this to being about underwear. Um, guys, Guys tend to, well, we all do this to a degree, but we want, we see our wife is angry and we want to dispute her factually. <laughs> and so she'll say, I'm so sick of you coming in at nine o'clock every night. You need, we hate have it. I come home at eight forty-five, 45 and you know it. <laughs> yeah, so the presenting problem sort of is never really the problem. Therefore, what's the problem? And sometimes it takes, as we said so many times before, and we'll get into this at conflict resolution, but getting adrenaline out of the room. Uh, but you want to think about, what is she really mad about? Granted, the underwear should not be in the living room. Done. But why so upset? Because it's, you know, you so she's a crazy woman. No, she's not. She's mad about something that's really close to her heart. And that is you disrespecting her, not seeing any value in her. Like her job is to walk behind you picking up your underwear. That doesn't place very much value on her. So, another nonverbal is reading between the lines. Now, the great communication happens with... The next slide. There we go. Great community. So I'm going to talk. Good job. Good job. You can read between those lines. Good job. <laughs> all right. So great community. I'm going to talk about what good com- communication is, what it looks like. This is what we all need to shoot for if you're in the 93% that communication was a problem. And I'm sure on Beth and mine, we were part of that 93%. <laughs> But great communication involves great listening. I know none of you have ever been in a counselor's office, but I have cards if you need to talk to me. <laughs> in fact, I've got a, a mobile credit card runner. We could talk tonight <laughs> if you want to. So as, as we do in the office with couples all the time, we do active listening, Right? And even though you've probably not been to counseling, you've probably heard of what active listening is. So you have, normally I'll use a pen and call it a microphone. Mm -hmm. I actually have a microphone. Mm -hmm. So someone holds the pen, and if they're holding the pen, they're holding the microphone. Therefore, they get to speak, and you don't get to speak. Now, they're going to talk for about a minute, minute and a half, and you're going to repeat back to them. You're going to repeat back to me verbatim what I'm saying. Verbatim what I'm saying. Okay, sir, we got this down. Ma'am, you got this down? Okay, good. Sir, we'll start with you. Go. And he shares. After about a minute or so, I said, okay, stop right there. Now, what did you hear him say? She said, I heard him say he doesn't love me. (laughs) What? (laughs) What are you... No, that is your commentary on what he's saying, not what he's saying. But see, here's the thing. So often we are not listening. And if we're going to communicate, so often we just think of communication as talking, but communication is listening to what they are saying. To the actual words that come out of their mouth. Um there's a there's a another great exercise that we'll do that's from Gottman, where it's sort of like active listening, um, but you're you're not allowed to correct them or solve the problem or refute anything they're saying. When they talk about, and this is specifically about a problem, you want to ask them questions like a reporter. Well, when did you have you always felt that way? And you start because they obviously have an opinion that you don't like. Okay, but where did it come from? Why do they feel that way? I had just a couple uh, last week, and he just started crying. Because he said, My, the reason that I don't want to parent like you parent is because my dad beat me on a regular basis until mom would keep me home from school until the bruises went away and my face with well, a swelling would go down in my face. And he had never told her that. She just thought he was a wuss. And she was having the one to drop the hammer and, and how come you won't support me? He just has this phobic response, you know, to getting aggressive in any way with his kids to make them behave. So sometimes we just got to find out why they hold to the opinion that they do, and it's remarkable how much we learn when we listen. Just listen. All okay. right, great communication contains focused attention, focused attention. Uh, and it kind of gets back to uh, the nonverbals. But oh, oh, this wasn't a husband and a wife, but it was a, a mom and a daughter. And, they has had this horrible relationship, and she, at least the daughter felt like the mom, you know, didn't love her and, and doesn't care anything about her and so much more interested in her work. And I said, okay, well, here's your homework. You're going to take a problem to your mom this week, and you're going to go to her, and you're going to ask her, okay, uh, you know, what do I do? This is going on. So this is what she does. She goes to her mom, and she says, Mom, I need to ask you something. She said, well, sure, honey. And she said, well, I got this going on at school with so-and-so, and I just don't know what I should do. And the mom said, Well, baby, I think you ought to do blah, 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 and blah. Um, That way you can blah, 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 blah. And she goes, thanks. And so she's telling me the story. I said, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Sounds like that went fantastic. And she said, she never stopped doing her work on her computer. She never looked at me. So again, you could tell she was listening. She was keeping up. From what I heard, she gave some pretty good advice to what was going on. You would think that was like a leave-it-to-beaver moment between that child and a parent. And the little girl's heart was just ripped open. Because what did it communicate to her? I was not even worth you glancing at me. So, focused attention. Again, not just attention that I'm keeping up with what you're saying. But I'm looking at you, I'm stopping what I'm doing, I'm turning, and I'm looking at you. So you know you have my undivided attention. You know Chapman talks in the five level languages, You know he talks about, um, what is it? Is it quality time? Quality time. Mm-hmm. Emphasis on the quality. Not that we're in the same room watching television, Not with that we got a 30-minute commute, which puts us in close proximity for a while, but quality time. Y'all see this all the time now. People are sitting at the airport, you know, whatever. But this also takes place in dens and dinner tables at home and in living rooms. We're all there and we're watching our favorite shows while we're Facebooking and while we're Instagramming and while we're twittering. And so uh, so many conversations are, uh-huh, yeah, I know. We're communicating that you who are speaking to me, you are not worth my casual glance. We don't mean to say that. I mean, that we don't think that that's what we're communicating, but that's exactly what we're communicating. So good communication requires... And that, by the way, listening, focused attention... This is, you could be mute, and you could be really good at communicating. Uh, we have a very similar story to, to Macy and the deafness, because uh, Beth and I prayed the first 20 years of our children's lives that they would be struck mute. <laughs> so there's almost a very similar kind of story. I know that you story. My vibe, no, no.
0: <laughs> and not, did
1: not answer my prayer. I well,
0: you know, maybe don't uh, communicate
1: well. Communication requires time. It requires time. This is such an old saying, but old sayings get to be old sayings because they tend to be true. If you are busier, strike that, if you are too busy for the things of God, you're busier than God ever intended you to be. If you're too busy for the things of God, you're busier than God ever intended for you to be. And if you can't make time, because the things of God—I'm not talking about church; I'm talking about your family—we just never have time. As you know, we just never have time for our family anymore. Mom, Dad, look in the mirror. That's why you have engineered your life this way. Well, you don't understand about my job. You don't know the demands. Get another job. Get a smaller house. Drive a little bitty Kia. But spend time with your family. Spend time with your children. And spend time with your wife. I'm telling you, come heck or high water, you spend time with your wife. You spend time with your husband. You carve that time out. It's so critical. Because oftentimes we don't communicate because we're never in a room together, that we're not doing 18 million things, which are all required, I get it. But at some point, you've gotta carve it out. You, and this is another old saying that tends to be true, you make time for the things, what? That are most important. It's amazing that I've never had a conflict with a home UT football game. It's like freakish. You'd think there'd be something. Never We make time for the things we want to do. Therefore, there are no excuses for why you're not spending time with your spouse. Uh, be it date night. Uh, and I know everyone just rolls their eyes very nonverbally, <laughs> that when you say the word "date night," uh, because it's almost become a cliche. Like, I don't care what's happening in the family as long as you have a date night. You know, there could be pedophilia in the family. Just have a date night and everything will be fine. So I get that. However, there's a reason that everyone kind of, therapists and stuff, push date night because it's so important to get together. And I tell people on date night, it is anathema to say anything negative. You just don't say anything negative. If you have to write a list of possible Positive things to talk about? Take the list and refer to it. (laughs) But we are not going to get negative because there's every other day, 24 hours to be negative. This is a positive memory that we're going to share together. And we just get to talk. So it takes time. Next. Um, Great communication helps two people live one life. So often we say, you know, we're all just going different directions. Well, that happens when you, you know, when you don't have leadership. Um, When I was a youth minister, the kids got me this hat that says, I'm their leader, which way did they go? (laughs) And in a family, if you've got everyone going, you know, five different directions, I get it, I get it, I get it. But we can also do something about that. Um, Y'all have heard me. This is one of my many. soapboxes. You'd think I'd be cleaner. I stand on so many (laughs) soapboxes. But one of them is that your child doesn't play sports year-round. I think it's almost critical that your child not play sports all year-round so that they come home. I know this is wacky, but they go in the backyard and they dig a hole with army men. Or my grandson is now playing with little bitty Disney princesses.
0: Excellent. That were
1: purchased for his cousin, Reefy. So I just call them his warrior princesses.
0: (laughs) That's what they are.
1: And those aren't gowns. That's body armor. (laughs) That they put on. But it takes... It takes time. Next. Uh, enhances intimacy. Um, guys tend to be, tend to be more this way. Uh, she's cooking, she's cleaning, she's doing all the stuff with the kids and everything, and we just come rocking in, uh, slap her in the air and go, Hey, baby, maybe you and me later on. <laughs> and you just pray she's not holding a knife when you say that. <laughs> Because you know, for, for for females, you know, the sexual arousal thing—it just it, it it takes a while, and then it sort of stays there, and then it sort of goes down. Guys. <laughs> and so we we don't understand why just your mere presence in the kitchen is not driving her into a, a fit of eroticism. <laughs> But for a lady, there's so much more to it than that. It's, it's you know, what do they always say? You know, you, you don't make love in the bedroom. You know, it's, it's in the kitchen and it's in the driveway. It's you know, it, throughout the day. It's, it's, it's kind, loving text is, texts throughout the day. So good communication enhances intimacy. Because if you are living one life, then I know the big meeting that Beth had Today with these architects. First thing, how did it go? She's lining all this. Our youngest daughter, Lindsay's getting married. <laughs> and so so I know she's talking with tent people and she's talking with hotel people. And she's like, so I'm at, how's it going? How the, what, what happened with the tent people? Do we get a clear roof? Did you mm-hmm. know they had tents with clear roofs? Really? Unbelievable.
0: I need to make a note. That's
1: very And cool. apparently they grind gold to make it clear.
0: Well, because that's what it yeah. takes to cost. Yeah,
1: I understand. But, <laughs> but I, know, I know what she's doing. She knows what I'm doing because I sit in a room and talk to people for 10 hours every day. <laughs> Honey, how was your day? Well, I sat and talked to people. I have a, a very uninteresting day. Uh, her on the other hand, she's going all over the place. But when you're talking you know about their lives, you know what's happening in their lives. You care about what's happening in their lives. You communicate that you care what's happening in their lives. And when she's quizzing, every time she asks me what I did today, well it had not changed in about 20 years. <laughs> I sat in a room and I, but every time she, I'm just like, hey, you sweet thing. <laughs> I'll remind you again, <laughs> but it's just so cool that she asks. I love that. It means you care, and so being able to to live two lives together, uh, being able it enhances intimacy because you know each other and you care about each other, and that's for for females especially. That's what's sort of sexy uh, is is that type of intimacy because non-sexual intimacy is what leads to sexual intimacy. And non-sexual intimacy is all about talking and laughing and sharing. All right, Um, yeah, contains real interest. Kind of touched on that. But good communication contains real interest because I do care. And they know if you don't care. And it communicates if you don't care. I mean, it comes across loud and clear if you don't care. Um, When I'm telling Beth about my golf game, it's very evident that she doesn't care. (laughs) Uh, When she's telling me about she made some huge... Do y'all shop at Sephora? (laughs) And apparently if you spend just under $1 million, you're given like gold platinum status. Uh, if you walk through the door, all the employees just fall prostrate at your feet if you reach this certain level. And she did. And even though I was trying to look interested, she could tell I didn't care about that. So you've got to have genuine, genuine interest. Because there is nothing like giving someone worth as when you're interested in their lives and you want to listen because you care. That's what good communication is. Those are the things that it contains. Here in a week or so, we're going to talk about the flip side of communication, the things that can make it go south.
0: And I have to say, I had to deconstruct what it means to show real interest. I think it's one of Mike's true strengths. He really has an ability, those of you who've communicated with him, to make people feel very listened to and very very much of worth. And I was always so interested in what I was going to say next and trying to con- you know, really construct that well that I had to learn very much. And one of the things I've noticed with Mike is that he's always willing to say, so, oh, so you're interested in fly fishing. What got you interested in that? What do you find beneficial about that? Tell me about some of the accoutrements you use to do fly fishing. He's got a real skill in it, but it's a skill that I think we can learn. I think if it's something that you say, well, I'm just really not, I just, if it's something I don't like, then I just don't like. But you can learn it, and it's just being willing to ask a couple mm-hmm. more questions. You know, Mike watches soccer. I really don't care about soccer, but I have learned to ask about soccer. I've learned to, that because it's important to him, And I've learned that skill from him to be able to ask those questions. And so some of us just need to learn how to be better conversationalists, and it will clean up a whole lot of communication issues in our marriages. You guys have some questions to ask each other at your tables. If you're the only two at a table, flip your chairs around and get with some others. There's people here who've walked a longer journey in marriage than you have. They'll have some great information for you, and there's some great troubleshooting that can go on as well. (laughs)